what would the majority of people do or what would everyone do? And then I'd try to think what's the opposite of that. And that's what I want to do then. I want to do the opposite. Welcome to Generation C, a podcast by Kobus, where we explore creativity, growth, and the good life. My name is Karl Kronika. And my name is Julius Gable. And today we have Klaus Wittrup in the studio. Klaus is the founder of Gasoline Grill, a local Danish burger joint that has been named one of the world's best burgers by Bloomberg. There are nine locations around Copenhagen now, but it started out with just one location at an old gas station at Langreven. Hence the name uh, Gasoline Grill. The concept is quite simple. It's a classic burger, fries and a milkshake. But one thing that we find quite funny about the concept is that there's a limited number of burgers each day. So they only have an opening hour, but no closing hour. So they simply close when they get sold out. And they've managed to stay quite true to this part of the concept since they, they started back in 2016. And me and Carl reached out to, to Klaus as we First of all, find the, the brand super cool, but we also wanted to understand better how they differentiated themselves creatively in a very crowded uh, market. And also what drove him to start exactly a, a burger joint uh, beyond just his love for the, for the US, which we are going to hear a lot more about in the podcast. I've always been into food ever since I was very young. Since I was maybe six years old, I thought I'd be a chef. That was actually my dream to become a chef. I've always been really into food, tasting food and experimenting with food. But I've also always been into business as an interest. So I, I actually thought that if at some point I was going to work as a chef, it would probably be at my own place. So I thought it would be better to get some economic education both so that I knew how it works, but also to have something to fall back on in case it went wrong. You know, there's this thesis that chefs are not very good at economics. So that's why I wanted to have an economic degree. And during that period, I went to Aalborg University for five years and Hansoy School in Aarhus also. And I have a master in economics with a specialization in marketing. During that time, I got even more into food. I started working in restaurants and went to Sweden to work in a restaurant with one of my great friends from the time I was in America. Uh, and I really got into like kitchen life and working in kitchens. And that just got me even more interested. And then right out of university, I got a job at Austerne because I wanted to be part of the journey they were on with organic vegetables. I thought it was really interesting. So I, I got a job there as a buyer of produce. Uh, I didn't have any experience, obviously, but I was there for two years, I think, something like that. Uh, and, and during that time, I was working together with some legendary uh, chefs from Copenhagen. Nice. And I got to know many in like the environment and in the 
in the business, in the industry. And my time at Austin really is where I really learned about taste and about tasting quality. I was working together with a chef. Uh, his name is Thomas Hess. He was a sous chef at the old commandant. That was the first place in Copenhagen to have two Michelin stars. And he really taught me or showed me what is taste and how to taste. Did you already know at that point that you wanted to start your own and that you kind of were on this track of learning a lot from from the best? Or I think in the back of my head or in my subconscious, I knew that at some point I wanted to uh, work for myself or, yeah. or make my own thing. My whole family is entrepreneurs. My mom has been and my dad has been and my sister is. And uh, I I just always thought that I would also be an entrepreneur. But then I just got caught up in things, you know. Yeah. I got caught up in... Working at Austin, I thought that was something that would be really interesting. And it was. And that journey led me to work with Klaus Meyer. Nice. Yeah, where I, uh, he, I, he was looking for a business developer. And I I applied for that job and I got it. And that was just another really interesting journey that got me more into like, okay, how do you take concepts or ideas and turn them into businesses? How do you turn them into something that is viable? Uh, how do you scale something and stuff like that and and then I actually thought my, my plan was that I wanted to like really get my skills within like the high end of food in Denmark Austin being one and Klaus Meyer being another and then I really wanted to go into uh, retail so into supermarkets and I wanted to make a change there and, and change the whole supermarket uh way of doing things in Denmark because I thought it was really bad and I wanted to change also the food system and be a part of that change. What kind of uh, problems did you see in the in the supermarket space? I just saw problems with, with the pursuit of quality mm. and uh, that uh, supermarkets are always looking at price and they always make decisions on behalf of the consumers that I felt were not correct and also untrue. They always would say, for example, at one point I was talking about organic chickens and I was like, why can't we get organic chickens? And they said, consumers don't want to pay. That's always the argument. Consumers don't want to pay. But consumers do want to pay. They just don't get the possibility to. And I I think that you sometimes have to push things through instead of trying to have consumers pull it through, right? Uh, but but mainly it's with uh, yeah convenience, uh, product development, and quality, I thought, was really like lacking. Also taking a, a stand with environment and stuff like that. So I, I got a job at Yerma uh, to try and work with that. And I, I it was a good time. I just found out that it was very difficult to actually do anything to change anything it was still very conservative even Irma that is like the high end mm. yeah because you would say that you know they are already doing a quite good job compared to the other supermarkets like for example Netto uh, is not always as good organized as, as you could expect um, so and even then you would still run into a lot of uh, bureaucracy and decisions would take a long time so I actually went back to Austin and was working there for, I think, four years or something like that. After I was doing other things, I was I was head of, like, they have a big farm up in north uh, of Zealand, Coop, where there's a farm shop and there's team buildings and there's caterings and there's big events. And I was uh, 
head of that and and that it just again caught me up it was a lot of fun and then i actually got headhunted to a position in a very large uh, fruit and vegetable company and also during all this time i i thought okay i'm i want to try and like make this corporate career i want to like really build up a, a career and then that opportunity showed itself because i was asked to or i was in the process of being the head of marketing for the largest fruit and vegetable company in europe and and i thought they asked me if i wanted to interview and i thought okay i'll take the interview but i ended up getting the job and that job really showed me that i wanted to get out of corporate <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that much said it was it was, i i had great colleagues and it was a lot of fun and stuff like that but it's also it was just different I just found out that now I've, I have tried that. I don't need to pursue this further. And then I thought, if I'm ever going to start my own place, as I've always dreamed mm -hmm. of, now's the time. Because at that point, I, I was making a good living. So I had the time to like rethink everything. I didn't have to go out and find a new job right away. So that's when I started Gasoline Grill. And the time you had in the U.S., when was that and how influential has that been to starting a, a burger company? That was uh, when I was 16. Uh, I was an exchange student. When you're 16 in America, it's very influential on yeah. you. And it for sure changed my life and how I think about things. And it definitely made me fall in love with America even more than I was. So I would say that ever since... I missed America, not the politics, uh, but the country, the food, like the way of life, kind of, you know, I was, I was there without any worries, just driving around cars, having fun, just living like you see in the movies or the series. So I was, I, uh, I kind of missed that. And that's also what I wanted to build with gasoline grill was a little piece of America for me. Have you ever considered like uh, going there ever since? I never thought that I was going to live in a, in okay. Denmark. I always thought I was going to live somewhere else. I, I actually thought I was going to live in America, but I don't think that now, at least not now, it, it'll probably be in many years if, if I do that. But uh, yeah, I thought a lot about uh, moving to America and and settling down there. Where would you uh, live in, in America if you went there? Yeah, that's a good question. Texas. Maybe Texas. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, California, maybe. I don't, I don't know. Um, there's so many nice places. I think what I also found is that I was living in Indiana and I thought that's boring, but that was also great. And I've been many places in America. And for me, I think they're really great. I'll probably actually, I'll probably living in, in Wyoming. That's where I've been the most since. So uh, it's just an incredible place. Uh, that I love very much. And the idea for uh, for gasoline and, and starting a burger company, how did that come about? And, and I was a burger nerd. Okay. So I was just one of these people that we also have visiting us that would, every time a new burger place would open, I would be there to test the burger and like really think about, okay, what do I like? What don't I like? What would I change? And also when I traveled, I would always visit the best burger places or look up what the best burger places were. And when I was visiting places here in Copenhagen, I always thought that there were just little things that should be changed at all. 
I, I mean, I didn't, for me, find the perfect burger. And I thought it would, I thought it was so easy to make the perfect burger in my mind. So I had a clear idea of how that burger would look and what it would be. And then when, when I quit at, at Total Produce, I, I knew that I, that this is probably the time where I should do something on my own. And I was thinking about many things, but I, I just thought, I know I can make a great burger. I'm not sure I can make a great like restaurant. Could I make a great bistro? I don't know. I, I have some ideas on how you could do it, but I probably couldn't be in the kitchen producing. But I knew that I myself, just me, could make an incredible burger. Or, or at least in my mind, what an incredible burger was. And I, I still thought that there was space for that. It's also what we uh, discussed before a meeting with you. It's, it's like this fascination of the simplicity of the product that you've just been staying so true to ever since you, you started and compared to McDonald's and like that film that everyone have seen by now, hopefully, but like the commercial desire kind of made them steer away from the core uh, and like staying true to what it was in the beginning. And I think that's true with every, like a lot of different businesses. And we have ourselves here at Corpus also experimented with a lot of different things, but kind of remind ourselves to more and often than not kind of get back to the core and really you know, focus on what are you actually truly, truly good at and then kind of removing everything else that is just noise. Has that been the strategy from the start or have you been sometimes curious to also add uh, like other products or like ideas to, to the mix? So the first location is very, very small. It's 12 square meters. And that was actually a blessing because it with 12 square meters, you really have to think about, okay, what do I have on the menu? Because You don't have space. I mean, physical space. So, for example, did I want to put avocado on a burger? There's no space for avocado. So, I mean, I probably wouldn't. But still, if I would, I would then I'd have to change everything. And I think limitations are a great thing. You, you should really embrace them. So it really made it so that I had to cut to the core. And then two years ago or something like that, I added a chicken sandwich to the menu. And I actually wanted that to be part of the menu the whole time. But since Landgren couldn't <laughs> accommodate it uh, with space, it just wasn't on the first menu. But it was something I actually always wanted to have on the menu. And then with newer locations, it became possible. But I'm very considerate of like staying true to what we're doing and what got us here. And not in any way trying to tweak that. And like kind of stretch yourself sometimes too thin, maybe, yeah. And I sometimes have to tell myself, but it's not in gasoline grill. All the things that I want to do, that has to be something else then. And it has to be after gasoline grill, if there is an after gasoline grill, mm -hmm. I don't know. But, or it has to be with other people or where I'm not doing it or something like that. How do you ma maintain sort of the, the discipline to say no when you get good ideas that you want to, to implement in gasoline? I implement a lot of ideas still, but touching the menu is just, I really have this concept of a of concept of, but I have this thought of a slippery slope. There are many things that I just don't want to touch, even though they, they might be small. I don't want to touch them because it becomes a slippery slope. If we, for example, would say, you know, we grind the beef in-house at each location every morning. What if we did that central? That would be easier. Maybe even quality would be more uniform. But it's a slippery slope because then what is the next? So I I don't even want to entertain those ideas. 
I just cut them off right away. <laughs> <laughs> Ideas like that. Obviously, if I, I mean, I don't want to do things that are stupid on purpose. I think things true, obviously, but sometimes things has to be difficult. And in that also you have a moat against others because many are not willing to go the route that we are going or that I'm going in my dedication to creating the best burger. I'm not saying Gasmin Grill is the best burger. For me, it's the best burger. And that's the whole idea. I made it for myself. And I thought if I make a great burger for myself, a lot of other people will also enjoy it. Since I made the burger for myself, I'm eating it often. I made it to have access to that kind of burger. So I don't want to make it worse. I always want to make it better. How do you find the, the motivation in these like incremental improvements of the core product rather than kind of just adding a bunch of new ideas and like, okay, maybe we should also do uh, do this and do that. And, and and I think that is, for me at least, looking from the outside, very inspiring to see like kind of staying true to that on like, is it like the seventh or eighth year now? And, and kind of maintaining that um, super simple way of, of running the business, but constantly just raising the bar of like how good the product can become. And I think that's something that we uh, and everyone else, especially also like young people can learn from in terms of like, okay, then we want to do that and this and then shut off and then like just focus on what you're really good at and do that for 10 years. Yeah, thanks for that, by the way. It, it means a lot to me. Uh, I think I'm like an optimizing personality. I mean, or personality, that's my mindset. I always want to optimize things. And that can be in in, in many ways. But I, I also have this uh, like exercise that I do if I have a problem or if I have an opportunity, I would say, okay, what would the majority of people do or what would everyone do? And then I try to think, what's the opposite of that? And that's what I want to do then. I want to do the opposite. So, for example, if you have a success, like when in 2017, when we got mentioned in Bloomberg for one of the best burgers in the world, and we just had lines for 200 meters every day in January, February at Landground, <laughs> what would most like opportunistic people do then? They would probably get patties made somewhere else or beef made somewhere else and just start like really capitalizing on that so i knew okay that's something we definitely do not do i don't know if it's i play this game to play i'm not playing it for an exit when you when you see it in that way you, my my strategy is forever how do i play forever and that is not compromising on the product do, do you see it as a play i, I find that super interesting in terms of like how people view running a business because some talk about like as, as a family and blah blah and then some talk about as like a yeah more of a like a game and a sports team almost like or like a sprint or a marathon or like kind of have like many different viewpoints on it right i think of it as a game okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> and is that is that to sometimes like distance uh, like also like the feelings from it uh, you, that no, you can no, get no, or like no. i mean i that, that's another thing you know people say it's only business. It's not personal. It is personal. It is personal. <laughs> yeah. It's super personal. Yeah. I mean, it is feelings. You know, something that is uh, that I didn't th even think of and something that is still like the hardest for me is if we get like a bad review, that is obviously things can go wrong. But if I feel it's not, what can you say, justified, it, I, I really take it personal. It reminds me of the, the last dance, if you've seen that. With uh, Michael Jordan, 
And where he says, yes. and, and I really took that personal. Yes. <laughs> 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 just goes out and scores 40 goals, something like that. <laughs> How, uh, in, in terms of this whole persistency and spirit of staying true to, to the core and also do the opposite of what the majority would have done, would would that be possible to to keep that in the culture, do you think, if you weren't there? Because I, I could imagine that it really requires a strong willpower to to maintain that kind of mindset. Yeah, no, I think it's difficult because, you know, I talk to people, different people all the time, and, and many are always like, uh, they're always so focused on sale. You could sell more, you could do this, then we do that, and then you would sell more. And I'm like, I'm not interested. I mean, that's not what it's about. I mean, Gasoline Grill is not about making many burgers it's about making a great burger but a lot of people have that mindset because they're brought up in that and and i it's something that i take from it's not it's i mean it's not something from me i take it from austin and i take it from myers where i kind of got into that mindset of always focusing more on like value creation and like the good product and then sales will follow yeah build yeah. it and they'll buy it yeah <laughs> <laughs> no i i mean i don't necessarily agree with that but yeah yeah really the product will not lie if you're making great quality it will have an effect and also when you're playing the really long game then it is really about building value and and thinking that if we're doing the right thing if I mean, not being focused on profit, because profit will follow if you do everything right, or so to speak, or if you're like focused on quality, focused on great uh, guest service, hospitality, stuff like that, then you'll make money. That's yeah. my philosophy, and I, and I think it's true. It's harder to go the other way around, right? There are so many that are really focused short term. And, and we had a great, again, back in 2017, we had a great opportunity to really sell out. It was a test, but I'm really happy that we didn't. How um, big of an influence did that piece in Bloomberg have on like your business today? And like, what did that change? Yeah, I, th I think it, I think it changed a lot. I think on the short term, it changed a lot. I think we would have gotten there anyway, where we are. I think it would just have taken a longer time. But obviously, it made a huge impact on all kinds of things. I mean, we at that time, we were actually ready to open two locations. But we had to stop because we were so busy. So one of the locations we canceled and the other one we opened like half a year later than we were supposed to. So we were already super busy before Bloomberg we were more of a secret and then with Bloomberg we were as busy as we were during the summer we were that busy in January and I didn't expect that I wasn't ready for that but yeah obviously it had huge impact but I think we would have gotten there how did Bloomberg find gasoline do you know that or did it just come out of, of nowhere No, they were, I mean, nothing comes out of nowhere. <laughs> no, it was luck. Many things built up to it, but it was, uh, I think it was Norma actually who, who advised them to look at us. They were doing a piece on the best burgers in the world. And uh, I think one of them was at Norma or something like that and, and asked them and they said, you really need to go to Gatchman Grill here in Copenhagen and check them out. I mean, I feel like we have quite a lot of successes uh, in Denmark within the food industry, like some of those that have at least gotten to the point where they have like the first 10, 15 good stores is like also Oli Oli and Jagger's also done a great job and, and Gasoline Grill now and Joni Juice is also a big growth journey. 
what do you think that we do especially well here in Denmark in terms of building these kind of, of concepts within uh, food and beverage? Yeah, I think we I think we have a, like a Scandinavian aesthetic that uh, that that really works, and I think that could be one thing if we're talking like international expansion. If we're talking, most of those brands are only in Copenhagen yeah. or in Denmark, right? And we have this thing that I think most big cities have is that all restaurants are turning into groups. And it's a thing that's happened over the last maybe 15, 10 years that when you, you can't just have one restaurant. I mean, you can't, I mean, I'm saying this while I'm smiling because uh, if you have a great restaurant then you need to open another one and another one and another one. And it's a little bit sad actually, because why don't we have like the single restaurants run by one guy and it's just incredible. How many of those do you know in Copenhagen? Very few. Harry's Place. Harry's pa- it's called Harry's Place or? Uh, it's for sale. Okay. <laughs> That's why then. <laughs> This young guy called uh, Jacob that runs Feed Bistro. Uh, yeah. I think he's doing a great job. I'm not sure he has opened a second one yet. He might have, have done so, but uh, he's doing a great job. And I think he's he's quite popular using his YouTube channel to invite famous personalities in. But it is like that. We have You have great restaurants that are great, owned by one man. We, uh, one of my favorite restaurants is Bavin. This one guy owns it. It's a great restaurant. And I go there a lot. But m- most other restaurants are owned by groups. And I don't know really what to say about it since uh, we are also kind of a group. But I'm very... I'm very How many stores do you have by now? Seven or... Nine in Maybe. total. Okay, nine, yeah. I'm very like focused on that. There shouldn't be a gasoline grill everywhere. Even though I might think it's cool. Maybe everyone doesn't think it's cool to have a gasoline grill everywhere, <laughs> right? I think it's something to think about also. That if you have this great space somewhere, maybe it shouldn't be a gasoline grill. Maybe it should be some single guy or girl opening a great like other kind of concept or their little love. When do you think you will stop opening up new uh, restaurants? Do you have like a, an idea of how big you want gasoline to become? And do you also feel like that it can turn too big uh, at some point? Or No, I think we I think we are about at the limit in Copenhagen in Denmark. And then I definitely want to open everywhere, all over the world. So that's like the next uh, thing, right? Are you going back to the US or, or where are you you're opening uh, the next ones? No, there's nothing concrete, but I mean... That would be incredible to open up in America, or it would also be great to open up in Japan. I mean, I I think uh, this is also, I mean, this is driven by uh, interest. So where would I rather spend my time? Also, I would rather be in Japan than in I don't know Germany or something like that. Or would I rather be in Aarhus or would I rather be in London? I mean, the trip is the same, right? Yeah. I'd rather be in London for sure. <laughs> <laughs> What would you say, like uh, throughout starting gasoline, has been like the biggest uh, sort of headlines for for your chapters? I, f- I feel like everyone has like a a headline, so to speak, for for each chapter that they 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 go through. So one, of course, being like the the early days and like the the struggle of of building something from from the scratch, and then kind of it, it grows to a certain size where you don't have to think about okay how do I structure the company now and how do we grow how big should it be and like start to think about where to take it and 
And then throughout that journey, of course, there's also been like things happening in the world that make you maybe you want to rethink like direction you want to go in and you have to take some hard decisions and all of that. Like, how do you, how have you navigated that? And what have been like the major chapters you look back at and remember? I mean, the first location, obviously, and then going from one to two was very like, should we do it? Should we not do it? How will we manage? But then again, when I opened up, Gasoline Grill, my dream was not to have a burger place. It was to build a big company. It was to take the burger as a vehicle to try and change something, to try and uh, really promote organic food, to try and show how you can actually scale quality. So, I mean, it was the dream from the beginning, but still taking that first step from one to two was difficult. I love that with like scaling quality. I think that's quite a, I don't, I wouldn't say unusual, but I think of course it, it has a paradox to it, right? Because often it would like require some sort of reduction of quality or something else in order to like really hyper, yeah. hyperscale things. And and that's another thing. That's also something that, you know, you, you've seen it everywhere when you, you, you had a, a favorite place and then they got too busy or they opened up multiple, multiple locations and then the quality just kind of went down and, I mean, I am so, so, so focused on that not happening to us, that we are not, for example, changing portion size or like, you know, we could make, if we make the patty a little bit smaller, then we would make one extra krona or whatever per burger. I mean, I'm not interested. It's a slippery slope, as you uh, said previously, <laughs> but it probably also starts to become more and more difficult now because now you have nine stores, right? And when you have 10 or 20 or 30, the more stores you have, the more attractive it becomes in, in terms of the uh, economic benefits you will get from making small adjustments. I used to work in Journey Juice uh, many years ago and... I uh, I still admire the company and I still eat the, the the juice and the sandwiches there once in a while. But but I could also follow the journey from when I, I started there to after two and a half years when I ended my time there. That you know we started implementing waste management and we started to be very focused on the recipes in terms of how many pieces of chicken and how many uh, slices of uh, avocado etc. We put into to the sandwiches and then the juices, etc. And to begin with, it, it actually improved the quality because then you figure out that you have some people in the bar who put in like a, a whole melon, oh, not, not melon, but a whole lemon in a, in a juice where it's not supposed to be so um, sour. But, you know, down the road, if you start to measure uh, your employees on the amount of ingredients they put into the products, then they will start to, because they're incentivized to save, they will start to, you know, use less ingredients. So it is really a slippery slope and it is really hard when, when you get more stores. I mean, they have 300 stores now. What's your plan to, are you the plan yourself uh, to ensure that this, this doesn't happen or, or, or how can you sort of uh, make sure that you don't go down that road and, and sort of maintain the high quality that you have right now? I totally agree with you. And I think what, what also happens when you start manualizing everything and, and just uh, for context i have manualized everything from the beginning even when it was just me there i made manuals for everything because i thought of it like a multiple locations from the first one i wanted to be able to scale it but i think the problem with when you do manuals if you then start to look at those manuals and you say okay six pieces of chicken in the sandwich if we cut down to five then we'll make two million extra per year 
then it's difficult to say no to, right? <laughs> yeah, and to, to begin with, you you can't maybe taste it because it's just one piece of chicken, right? And that's the difficult. That's that's a dangerous part. I think. I think it's fine to have manuals, but as uh, but you just then have to stick with them and not not change them. And so my strategy for being able to scale it is that the way we have also set it up today is that I view every location as a separate location, as a single business unit in itself. So we have uh, every location has their own meat production. It has their own like other production for vegetables and stuff like that. That actually makes it very easy to control because then all of a sudden everything is uh, is very easy to overview. It's very simple. It's not complex. For example, if you had like a central kitchen, then you had to have production plans and you had to like have forecasting, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden you are a logistics company, right? when what we are actually doing is making food. So I think that's the way to, uh, for in our case, I think that's the way to do it, to look at each location like just one grill. And you have to make um, this amount of burgers every day and uh, and then, yeah, doing it the same way as we have always done. I think that's actually scalable because everything else around it, the framework, the kitchen setup, all the like um, non-food products, like all the like the big things is taken care of. Uh, and that's just a system that you are participating in and also getting value from. Now you have all these employees following the manual or the processes. Um, how do you, in Journey Juice, for example, we still had a lot of responsibility and, and freedom despite having uh you know a manual and despite having a, a list of the ingredients going into the different products is there a lot of freedom still in the gasoline grill places or how do you sort of keep the employees motivated and yeah culture is the hardest thing to scale i think and that is one thing that john the juice really have done well from my point of view i mean i don't know but from looking on the outside i mean they have really been able to scale their culture Because if you do see like every uh, like a grill as a single unit, then it, it might also be like a bit of a different set of cultures, right? Or we we have you know we have joint meetings and yeah, we okay, have yeah. also like uh, so it's still a coherent experience also yeah, for them. Yeah. And yeah, and we have also we have the same like uh, online platform where yeah. everyone can talk and stuff like that. And uh, it's it's from the production point of view that I see them as single units. Okay, yeah. But the culture is something that's really hard to scale. Uh, and also in our case, uh, it's hard. And it's something that I'm also really focusing on a lot, I would say, quality and then culture. What kind of culture are you trying to, to create? It's hard. You either, you, ha you have a culture. You have one no matter what. And uh, I think it's hard to create. I think what... I'm trying to like push is that we have a, a very open, honest culture with high integrity, hard work, and um, and then quality and hospitality. Quality and hospitality is something we talk about a lot. And then integrity, doing the right thing even when no one else, else is watching, right? How do you think that shines through in, in kind of your external branding and communications? And have that been something that you've been how do you say, mindful of from the very start, been mainly focused on like the product and, and like the, the experience from the customer perspective and then letting that speak for itself? Or did you kind of work proactively with 
making sure that the you know the brand and the reputation that you got from from the outside world and especially of course in Copenhagen for for startups and globally as well then later on how well connected is that to the culture and is that something that you've been working uh with yeah i mean if if we talk about the branding it's kind of the same i mean we have a problem not a problem we have a product that's like very honest very simple very naked and i think also in our communication is very simple but uh, it has some aesthetic to it uh, and that's uh, definitely on purpose that it is uh, very simple and what you see is what you get with our locations we have this philosophy of everything we do inside a location it has to be real so if we are you if we are showing marble then it's real marble if we're showing wood then it's real wood so we're not like using fake stuff the same way as we're not using fake stuff in our burger i mean the food is what it is and when you look at our locations it should also have a like a, a feel of quality yeah. going through it so it's definitely on purpose and and also deliberate how about the the colors uh, how did you come up with the with the white and green and so the our identity is made by uh, e types and it actually came about from the gas station where they also helped design the gas station how it should look and we thought it would be great to have like a big neon sign on it and we were looking at this iconic building from like the 50s right and we wanted to make gasoline grill look like it has like it had always been there And then when we were looking at the gas station around the edge of the roof, there's a green light all the way around. So then we thought, okay, so if we put up a green neon, then the whole place will look like it was built by us or that it has always been Smart. there, right? Yeah. So that was the idea. And and um, and green just, I mean, it happened to be a great color for us. Also, since we are very focused on organic and like uh, sustainability even though we serve burgers and stuff like that so it just turned out really great like normal fast food colors is red or yellow and stuff like that but i'm really happy with green nice so you you co-created the the, the brand from the get-go with uh, e-types yes and and how did you sort of uh, decide that you wanted to do it with, with these guys it was just uh, one of my partners had a, a good relationship with them so it was just yeah we could we could get a, a good deal <laughs> <laughs> nice your your two partners uh, jacob and peter are, are they still uh, involved and how uh, how did you guys meet each other yeah i i, I knew peter from austin so he was a colleague there and uh, and then when i when i was gonna start gasoline grill i had a i had a friend that wanted to be part of it so i asked peter because when he quit at austin he quit to start cafes so i asked him i just called him to get like advice on how you could make an agreement and he was very interested in what i wanted to do and he said that he would like to hear about it and and he i told him what it, what it was it's a burger and a gas station it's going to be great <laughs> and he was like oh that sounds cool we would like to be part of that me and jacob and i i was just like i have i have someone already <laughs> but then we had a meeting and uh, it was it was uh, cool and uh, and then they got along or how can you say and yeah then we started what, what made you um, think that uh, jacob and peter would be great partners for the project like what convinced you that they should come on board 
I, I actually thought that they would have kind of the same philosophy as me, that you, we want to build something beautiful instead of only focusing on uh, making money. Because I had the other guy I had, he is—I mean—he's a good friend, and but he's also really good at making money, and that was not really what it was about. How about like you know the the whole creative process of of developing the brand now? Is that something you are still involved in, or are you more sort of watching that from the outside, or where are you spending your your time and energy now? It's really—I mean—that is uh, that is one of my. Also, I mean, one of my really core tasks, I would say, and also interests. And is that also like the small incremental changes? Everything. <laughs> I want to I want to oversee everything. Uh, every little word, almost, I want to see. It's something that I know how, how important it is. And also, I feel it's also one of my skills. I guess it also becomes like slightly a reflection of yourself over time in building a, a brand and a business. Yeah. So very much involved in that. Klaus, you uh, told us earlier that you got inspiration to become an entrepreneur from home through your parents and also maybe your sister that uh, that have all been entrepreneurs. Can you can you tell a bit more about that? What are they doing and how did they inspire uh, you to also start something on your own at some point in your life? Yeah, I think we've always just, I mean, my father when I was young, he had a, a factory, like a machine factory and uh he's he's retired now now he's an artist so uh even still he has that entrepreneurial spirit and i think it's uh my sister is like super hard working has always been and uh and we have always been kind of opportunistic in a good way not, not in a negative way but we have always and we have always had the support so when when we had an idea or When we, you know, we would sit and jam over ideas and we would all, we have, I think we are probably all like optimistic. <laughs> so we could always like see an idea uh, become into a business or how you could turn an idea into a business. And that's obviously fun, but it hasn't been like, no, but you should, uh, you should go to university and get a degree. My parents never said that to me. They, I mean, they, I, I think at first they even thought maybe it wasn't a good idea or something like, something like that. And then when I came and said that I wanted to open a burger place, actually, I could see that my mom was not happy because I was, you know, 40 years old. I wanted to open a grill. I just came from a crazy job in like a five billion euro company, right? They just said, okay, sounds cool. How do you want to do it? I mean, what are you thinking? And they're like, okay. Maybe they were also like good at asking all the right questions in terms of making you think about the right things. Yeah, maybe. I mean, but but I think the support is just, I mean, the important thing is that they have always just been very supportive of ideas. Yeah, that you can sort of feel that they trust in you, that yeah. they believe in you. Yeah. It must be nice, yeah. And um, throughout the gasoline journey, of course, the, the concept has developed, but you have also developed and, and grown a lot. I could imagine like what has been sort of the, the one most important thing that you've learned through the journey so far? I think it is. There are many things. I mean, I feel like I have the greatest job ever. And sometimes I say to myself, oh, I should have done this years ago. But I shouldn't. I did it at the exact right time because I have all my experiences, all my knowledge and everything with me. And that's part of why it became a success. 
But I think one of my learnings is that if you really care about something, if you really build up knowledge and skill and nerd about something, then you can turn it into a living. And I think especially now in this time, that's especially true. I mean, even very small niches you can turn into a living. And I would really, I have a little son and a little daughter and I really want to give them, I I hope it's the same when they grow up, but I really want to give them the idea of that you, I mean, you should just start something, start some businesses and like really, and do it early. I mean, I didn't, but, and and it turned out great for me still, but the fact that you can just take an an interest and turn into a business, I think is uh, a key learning. It's it's fun with uh, with happiness. It it sounds like you are at a good place in your life already, but We have also talked about this previously in, in the podcast, but it's it's like a paradox in the sense that you both want to be happy now, but you also set goals for yourself and you work towards them. And then you also want to sort of enjoy the journey on the way to to your goals. Uh, and you always maybe think that it's going to be better when I get to this point. And then when you are at that point, you think it's going to be better when you get to that point. You know, where are your 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 goals on, on the way? What's like your final destination? When When are you sort of where you want to be? And or are you already where you want to be? I think I am where I want to be. As, as I said, I, I I play this game to play the game. And that's what I'm doing. Uh, I don't have a end goal, I would say. I'm really happy. And uh, I really try, as you say, I try to enjoy the journey. And I do enjoy the journey. Uh, every day I'm grateful. And that's also something that I think is good for people to practice is uh, gratefulness. I'm grateful for many things, not just the business but also health and family and children everything so since i don't really have an end game i'm just playing that was it for our conversation with klaus we hope you've enjoyed it as much as we did and as always you can find more episodes of generation c in your podcast app or on the Cobus website my name is carl my name is julius and you have listened to generation c Thank you.